Funding for the Hinckley Report and this podcast is made possible in part by the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund and AARP Utah. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report, your weekly political roundup. Additional support comes from State Street, produced by KUER. Hosts Sean Higgins and Sage Miller take a fresh look at politics the Utah way. Get episodes wherever you listen to podcasts or at statestreetpod.org. Good evening and welcome to The Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Heidi Hatch, anchor with KUTV2 News, Max Roth, anchor with Fox 13 News, and Robert Gerke, columnist with the Salt Lake Tribune. So glad you're here with us this evening. Tonight's a very interesting show because we're going to talk about some big issues where we're going to understand them and we're going to see how they're going to impact the state of Utah because they certainly will. Uh, and I want to talk with some of the things that happened with the legislative session first. Heidi, uh, what's interesting here is uh, the governor has a very short amount of time to s sign bills, veto bills, or let them go into effect without his signature. Of the record-setting number of bills this year, 575, he has now signed 278 of them. Uh, here's the question people are asking right now. Are there any bills left on his veto list? It seems to me that most of the bills that he was against and would veto didn't make it through the legislative session anyways. And so at this point, it looks like he's going to be signing all those bills. But sometimes you get a surprise in the end as they go through and maybe look and see if there's something that doesn't quite line up with what they thought when they're reading mm -hmm. the bills. So mm -hmm. right now, it doesn't look like it. Yeah, and I get the sense that uh, as he's talked about this, that he his reasoning that he's presenting to the public for not vetoing is that there were some in their original form that he would have vetoed. Uh, notably, he talked about uh, a bill that said that uh, teachers in public schools could not teach that uh, people from one ethnicity mm -hmm. or race were superior to another. He said he had some initial qualms about that, but it was amended, and so he's not going to veto it. And so that, that suggests to me that he, he wants to say, well, I was ready to veto, I was ready to be tough, but I didn't have to be. I think he said initially there were almost 30 or three dozen bills, yeah. 35 bills that he was, that were on his hit list. They were the bills that he was worried about that he would have vetoed if they'd passed in their original form. But you know, you've been through the system, you know how it works. They get watered down, some of them die along the way or just don't, you know, don't mean anything by the end of it. I also think the governor's in a tough position because the last time he did exercise a veto, he got just steamrolled. And so I think there's a little bit of maybe reluctance to do that. It's if he's gonna use that veto again, it's got to be something he knows is going to stand up and he's got to feel pretty strongly about. Yeah, uh, he mentioned that he felt like he got involved early on and stayed involved, and that's why he doesn't have any vetoes. There's one interesting bill remaining uh, that may have a referendum, Max. Can we talk about this for a second? The state flag is so yeah. interesting mm -hmm. that everyone's talking about the state flag on both sides of this issue, but, re but regardless of one's opinion, there is a referendum effort underway, and yeah. the, the organizers of this group have to get just under 135,000 signatures by April 12th. Yeah, and, and it's really, um, th that is a big lift. Um, because uh, I'm not sure there are, there are some people who are very passionate, they love the current state flag, they think there's dignity to it and the seal and it has history, but um, are there 135,000 people who are passionate about it, at least uh, passionate no. enough to <laughs> sign it? Yeah, I, I, Heidi said, uh, no, and I think that that's likely true. You know, I, I, I don't think there are that many people who focus so much on the state flag, and when they do, uh, they will see this flag, this flag, and they'll probably a lot of them are going to see the new one and think, mm -hmm. 
that looks more flaggish. I, I think there's no way they're going to get the signatures they need. But I also, when when we had the last referendum, the tax when they passed the big tax bill, and groups went out and gathered signatures, that was still also very much a grassroots effort. Uh, and they managed to get the signatures, and the legislature knew they were beat, and you know folded their cards, basically repealed the bill. I don't think that's going to happen this time because, like Heidi says, I just don't think there's the the same sort of passion, the visceral anger about this, and 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 it's it's hard. It's hard to organize that. Mm -hmm. You got to get it in 26 of 29 counties, so you've got to get them, get people all over the state out there doing this. It's really hard to do, and usually expensive yeah. too. And there's not money involved in the flag. It's not the food mm -hmm. tax. Yeah, it's not something right. that's going to make people say, "I'm going to get out and use my spare time to go get signatures." Costs money, takes time, and it's a matter of weeks. It mm -hmm. just doesn't seem realistic. Well, I'll tell you what, Heidi. Uh, money is going to be a little bit of our topic for the next couple of minutes on this show because we have a couple big uh, efforts from the state. But let's talk about a big one nationally, Robert. Let's start with you. You've done some great reporting on this, a great uh, call on this week on Silicon Valley Bank mm -hmm. about you, what you said is they dodged a banking disaster. Why don't we talk about that for just a minute, what happened and then the implications for the country and particularly the state of Utah. Yeah, the bank that most of us hadn't heard about until it almost wrecked the economy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this bank kind of grew up with Silicon Valley uh, startups, right? They specialized in providing the type of banking uh, tools and services that these Sil Silicon Valley companies needed. And so, it, most of their accounts were really large. 95% of them were over the $250,000 limit. $250,000 is an important number because that's how much the FDIC will insure if a bank collapses. And so it, it, when, when they, had, they had invested most of this money into treasury bonds, which are lo sort of longer-term investments, and when, the, when they couldn't sell those bonds off to cover the, the, the withdrawals that they suddenly started having, it created a run on the bank, and word spread like wildfire via Twitter and other social media that the bank was in trouble and everybody went and took out, I believe it was $40 billion disappeared from this bank in a matter of you know hours. And so the, the FDIC had to step in and shut it down. Well, the problem that's created for Utah companies in particular is that there are several hundred Utah startups that had thousands of employees that were relying on getting that money out so they could make payroll. And so they found themselves in a, in a real predicament. Uh, in, in For the span of about three or four days, there was real uncertainty about whether or not this was uh -huh. this bank was going to survive if the federal government was going to step in and bail it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, we had, um, our, our reporters were talking, uh, and, and and grateful that he was willing to, to talk to us about it, to give some context, uh, uh, the founder of Kickstart here in Utah, and, and who said what, what Robert just said, that there was real concern about payroll, about being able to pay a whole lot of employees. And so there was that potential impact. We didn't see it happen, but uh, I think we all found out that there was real nervousness behind the scenes for a few days. Right, and Heidi, yeah. oh, go ahead, please. And I was gonna say, Utah's pretty tech heavy right now. When you think about where our, all of our growth has come in recent years, it really is in that tech sector. So there was a lot of businesses who were very nervous, especially over that weekend, thinking, can you make that payroll? And then there comes the question of the two $250,000, and if they had more than that in the bank, you know, and that's what's FDIC insured, can businesses really run the payroll if they have more than or less than that? And that's a big question of, you know, where that risk goes in. Can you make the payroll, pay your families? And it matters because when families in Utah can't make their mortgage or can't buy their groceries, there's a big domino effect to the rest of us here mm -hmm. in the state as well. Yeah, t talk about the impact in Utah and who was part of this too, because we have our own sort of, we have our silicon slopes. We have a very strong high-tech industry here, and many of these, particularly the startups, had their connection to this bank. 
Yes, and it was interesting that the Silicon Slopes um, really came together, and I think that's a strength here in Utah where they were able to come together. They had a meeting. They had uh, thought leaders. They had all these businesses. They had our senators, even some of uh, the banking members of the community get together, talk about where they were, uh, what needed to happen next, and I think that support was certainly helpful of some of those businesses that maybe you aren't going to see in other states. You know, it's interesting that some of the corporations that we now think of as pillars of the economy, you get a reality check when something like this happens. You think uh, we, we hear uh, for the first you know couple decades of its existence, Amazon didn't make a dime, and yet it employed a whole lot of people. What does that mean? Well, it means that they're, uh, that it's finance that's getting them through, and that the payroll of all those people depends on them being able to have liquid money available from financers, and that still is the case with so much tech right now, especially when we're talking startups. Yeah, exactly. So, Robert, what's interesting is uh, people will start talking about who's to blame a little bit here, too. And people are pointing to 2018. There's some deregulation of this particular industry. And people know that phrase, uh, too big to fail, because we went through some of that. Now, people are talking about some of these banks as being too important to ignore. Talk about those two things, particularly as you see the political aspects of this, of this issue. Well, it's kind of interesting, because Silicon Valley Bank was apparently a bank that was not too big to fail until it did, and then it would create a crisis. And so what the, big, the big change people were talking about from that 2018 bill was it took the uh, reporting threshold, they have to do stress tests and, 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 and have liquidity, liquidity requirements from 50 billion to 250 billion, and Silicon Valley Bank was about 210 billion in assets. So it didn't have to do those stress tests and they had that, the liquidity. And, and so now there's the question about, did we create the, environment where this could happen. Um, you know, but there, on the flip side of that, they have people like President Trump, you know, Senator Mike Lee tweeting about how diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, and environmental social governance scores were part of the reason that this bank failed, which I think is, I don't see the connection between that personally, but I, it, is, it is, whenever you have a crisis like this, a banking crisis like this, it, it does spin off these discussions about whether we need better regulation, more yeah. regulation, if we have it right. 50 billion, frankly, seems kind of low. I mean, there's a lot of room between 50 and 250 in assets, mm -hmm. and maybe you set it at, at 150 or 200, but that's a discussion that I think is gonna uh -huh. transpire in Washington. I wanted to show a question that was submitted to us from one of our students at the University of Utah, and Heidi, I'm hoping you'll take this one here in just a moment, because it's the broader view of this issue and what might happen next. Let's see this question. Hi there, my name is Katherine Calderon and I am a Master of Public Administration student here at the University of Utah. My question today revolves around the recent collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank. Do you believe we will see any of those impacts here in Utah? And if so, how do you think those impacts will look? Thank you so much. Okay, let's talk about going forward. Well, I think there's a lot of different impacts. You already see Zions Bank, which is yeah. a giant in our community that, um, I wouldn't use the word falter, but it had a bit of a wiggle and a little bit of a scare this week. So we see that, you know, giant um, pillars of our community may be affected by this. And then you look at the smaller tech startups and those tech startups create jobs for other people. We've been talking about that. And I think that um, when you don't have this bank around SVB anymore, it really catered to some of those smaller companies who needed someone to have 
faith in them and give them the money to get started. And so the question is, is it going to be harder for some of these startups to get going when they don't have a bank that specifically caters to them? Will it be harder? And then will it maybe make the other businesses tougher when they have to bank yeah, through someone else who maybe holds them to different or higher standards? So I think there's definitely going to be effects. I am not a banking expert. And so I'm watching this like everyone else wondering, you know, what is going to change and there will be changes and I hope that businesses look within and figure out how to make sure that this isn't yeah. something that happens again or happens to them. And mm -hmm. you know a banker faces, I, I'm, I'm very glad I'm not a bank CEO despite the change, the difference mm -hmm. in income between me and, <laughs> and one of them, but uh, it, when even for a traditional bank, uh, which Zion would call itself more than like Silicon Valley Bank, especially a week like this, they want to emphasize that, um, they have to thread a needle because they have to try and understand and what new companies are going to work because they, to be profitable, they need to have their, they need to finance companies that will succeed in the future, right? So, um, so, so a, a traditional bank has to live on that razor's edge. Zion, um, a, a week ago today, uh, was trading at just over $40 a share. Today it's at 31 something a share, at least it started today at 31 something a share. So even though they faltered a lot, more than that at the beginning of the week and they've come up, mm -hmm. that's still substantial. About a fourth of their stock value still went away this week. Mm -hmm. I think uh, an important point that Scott Anderson, president of Zions Bank, was making when this was transpiring is Silicon Valley Bank was all in on Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. hence the name, right? Zions, he said, is more diversified and spread around across multiple states, multiple sectors of the industry, or multiple industries, and so it makes it a little bit more resilient to this type of thing. Mm -hmm. That said, you know, they obviously, as Max said, they, they felt the consequences mm -hmm. of this. Mm -hmm. Now, it seems to be stabilizing, but, you know, going forward, you have about one in seven jobs in the state of Utah are related to the tech sector, not directly, necessarily, but they are tech related. And so, yeah, it, does, it did have the potential for some real fallout. And I think going forward, these these companies, these banks especially, have to look at diversifying. Mm -hmm. uh, companies probably need to look at having banking with different entities so they don't have all their eggs in one basket. And and I, and I think it also kind of signals maybe some weakness in the in the tech, uh, tech sector. I mean, we've been waiting for a correction, for a little bit of bubble to burst. And, and you know, we've seen layoffs, but not massive layoffs, and, and maybe, you know, it's there. Maybe there's some there's some weakness in that in that sector. Uh, let's talk about where people are putting their money because you brought up a moment ago, uh, Robert. Uh, this issue that was connected to Mike Lee was talking about it. It's this this, uh, this acronym uh, ESG. Uh, I think we should take a minute on this because it's going to be an election theme, I believe, yeah. and certainly is happening with the Republican Party in particular. Uh, ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance Investing. This is talking about uh, how do we make decisions about where put our money. Uh, let's, talk, let's start with you for just a moment on this one, too, because um, uh, it has this idea. You know, our legislature thought, well, the rule should be you put your money where it has the highest maximum potential return. This is not what this is about, though. This is about other considerations. That's right. The considerations, I think a lot of people like to use the word woke. I'm sick of the word woke. But uh, it was looking at investing in companies that maybe um, were green or did things that um, were to save the environment or headed in that direction. But I think the question comes after the bank failures, do you want to be um, 
putting your money or those funds into companies that have specific ideologies or do you want to diversify and make sure that it's you know where the money is going to be best spent or best earning and so I think it brings up questions of you know what way is the best way forward in the future and I think in the last few years maybe in the last decade there really was a push to go towards some of those companies that were you know maybe trying to rock the boat or change the world and maybe that's not where all the money should go. Um, interesting, uh, go ahead, Max. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, it's interesting because it's one of those issues that is gonna be answered differently depending on how you phrase it. Mm -hmm. So do you believe the government should decide um, how they're going to invest your tax dollars just by what a company thinks socially or environmentally? A lot of people would say, no, I don't think that's a good idea. But if you say, do you think the government uh, should invest in a company that has big ties to Chinese Communist Party, or or do you think the government should invest money in a, in a company that mines diamonds and they don't guarantee that children aren't a part of it in Africa, or, or back in apartheid era, uh, was it okay that people divested from South Africa? You ask people that way, the answer is likely to be different. So it's not, um, so it's just not a black and white issue, it seems like, and it's very easy to draw that line. Mm -hmm. This legislative session, Robert, it was interesting. There were 35 different pieces of legislation that were requested yeah. dealing with ESG. Just shows you where this issue might be. Four of them made it into bills that were introduced. And um, I, I first want to read this quote from the, the governor. Uh, governor Cox sent a statement to the President of the United States about this. I want to read this quote and have you talk about where this might be going in Utah, particularly with the legislation that was passed. This is the uh, statement that uh, in, was in the letter from Governor Cox to the President. He said, we as freedom-loving states can work together and leverage our state pension funds to force change in how major asset managers invest the money of hardworking Americans, ensuring corporations are focused on maximizing shareholder value rather than the proliferation of woke ideology. That's how this is being framed. Yeah, I, I agree with what Heidi and Max said. W woke ideology, I don't even know if they, if anybody can define what woke ideology is anymore. Um, I, I, the, the part I have a problem with with the governor's statement, frankly, is governments can invest their money how they want. And as Max noted, during the 80s, the, there was the big divestment from South Africa that helped bring down apartheid. It's, it can be a force for social good, right? Governments can pull money out of these woke funds, whatever, that they, that they think are using these ESG principles. But where you cross a line, in my mind, is when you start having them tell investment managers that they can't offer certain or certain products or telling them that they can't take certain factors into account. If you're investing in the energy sector, you're not and, and you're not going to invest in coal because coal's a bad play because it, it's it's fading away while solar's rising, then that's is that woke? I don't know. I mean, I don't think it is. It seems to me to be a good long-term investment strategy. But when you start tr telling these companies what they can and can't do in the force of, in the in the in their course of their business, that doesn't seem like a very Republican ideology to me. That doesn't seem like it's a limited government ideology to me. Uh, of, of interest, Max, uh, this bill was Senate Bill 96 on uh, this fiduciary duty modifications. The phrase that was used here and how it says state funds should be used, which includes what we might traditionally think in state funds but also maybe endowments, universities, other sorts of places, said that uh, it would ensure that funds invested by any government entity in Utah are managed, and this is the quote, with the sole purpose of maximizing the risk-adjusted return on the investments. That has to be the primary and not 
the, the funds. You know what? Uh, not just primary, sole only. Soul means only, right? I mean, yeah, that's yeah. a that's a very that's a that's quite a bar to to place on it. And um, you know, legislation is a blunt tool, uh, and uh, and then there's legislation that is intentionally blunt. And when you say that something is going to be the sole purpose, then you're then you're telling your own state employees that they can't. Uh, take other factors into consideration that that may have to do with something other than uh, when you talk about long-term investments, mm -hmm. that sort of yeah. thing. It may be that a coal company is about to uh, is about to be sold, and and so their stock's going to go up in the immediate term. But you might not have faith in the long term, and so uh, what does sole purpose mean at that point? And do you let people who are professionals do what they have trained professionally to do? Well, I, Representative Ken Ivory had a bill, one of those that didn't mm -hmm. pass, um, that said that any any individual or company that denies anybody capital, if because it's a gun company, a coal or oil company, or because of their viewpoints on abortion, can be sued in court, they had an individual right to action and get treble damages from that. And you think about how far this could go. Now obviously, like I said, that bill didn't pass. It goes a lot further than th this bill would have because that gets into person-to-person -person commerce. The banks in Utah were really freaked out about this and pushed very, very hard to try to get these to a place that they felt like they could live with, and they did at the end of the day. But you know, it's it's this thing that they. I, I think people need to understand when you're dealing with the economy, when you're dealing with the financial services sector in Utah, which is the largest sector of the economy, you need to be very, very careful in how you tinker with that. Mm -hmm. uh, of note, uh, our treasurer, Marlo Oaks, uh, Heidi, has made comments about this over the past couple of years. In fact, last year pulled $100 million of state funds out of BlackRock, which had some ESG approaches to investing. And he had some interesting comments uh, just this week uh, with the uh, Republican Party convention about this I issue. I can't even remember the exact words, but it was something about Satan's, what was <laughs> Satan's it, his quote? Oh, yes, Satan's plan. <laughs> and is. so obviously people have strong opinions about this, and I think it goes back to what we've been talking about, banking and ESG and everything, that you really have to have people in place who know what they're doing. They have to be risk managers, but you also have to remember that every risk manager has its own bias or their own bias, and so mm -hmm. we're never going to have a perfect system out there in how you look at it, especially when you look about, we've been talking a lot about energy, and we see what's happened in the last year. If you were more of a coal person or green energy or nuclear, I don't I don't think any of it's ended up where we thought after the crisis we've kind of seen in the last year. So I think there are a lot of imperfect people trying to make these plans and trying to put them in a box mm -hmm. with these laws of you have to do it this way or this way uh, is very tricky. It's hard to understand exactly what it would do or why it would do it. I, I just think it shows the super heated rhetoric around this issue. Yeah. And even if people don't necessarily understand what it is, what woke investing is, how it's going to play out, if you start throwing around terms like it's part of Satan's plan and he, he frequently goes to it's part of the communist system um, you know it's it's it, it shows how much people care about it and this was a group of delegates obviously Republican delegates and so it's an issue like you said at the outset I think is going to be one that people care about a lot going forward and will be part of the 2024 campaign and does it signal seriousness about the issue or does it signal not being serious about the issue when, when you start invoking these kinds of terms I mean I guess if you actually believe that uh, that, that, that 
Satan, some supernatural force is actually uh, behind this thing, then uh, then say it. If but, that's the case, but if I that's think not, Satan needs better plans. It yeah. gives, it gives him a lot of credit. But <laughs> I think but, some people do think that, you know, scripturally yeah. that there might be something to it with Satan's plan or whatever yeah. on the other end, but who knows? But but they're fighting words. You know, if 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 that's what you're going if that's the way that you're going to take the conversation, yeah. then you're kind of you're taking yeah. it off the table for a for a conversation. It's not really. an appeal to logic; it's an appeal to emotion. Okay, uh, let's transition for just a moment to some some water news of the week, uh, Heidi. This was a, a big one. We we're all talking about the Great Salt Lake. Our legislature has put hundred million dollars, I guess it's almost a billion dollars into yeah. this particular issue recently. Uh, but this was a big week also when the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uh, announced that they were going to donate 5,700 water shares permanently to the Great Salt Lake. Talk about that, how impactful that might be. Well, I certainly think it's impactful because uh, we need that water. And the big question is, has the LDS Church been using that water to farm or is it just water that they're keeping because it was grandfathered in and it's either use it or lose it? It. So this water is a small reservoir full, which won't save the world, it won't change everything, but it is drops in the bucket that we need for the Great Salt Lake, and it shows that they're serious about it. I think a lot of people have been asking, you know, what is the church going to do about it? Are you going to let your lawns die, or what are you going to do to help change this problem and make it better? And so this is a way of them saying, we're here to help. This money will go in, not money, but water, which is also money, in perpetuity yeah. to the Great Salt Lake. So I think it matters. And I think that it's, I forget what the cubic feet is, but I think there's 20,000 of whatever it is. And I think that each household, if you live in suburban Utah, probably uses the equivalent of one. So that's 20,000 households of water per year that they're sending now to the Great mm -hmm. Salt Lake. Uh, Max, this is the equivalent of the Little Dell Reservoir. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, I love to take my canoe to Little Dell Reservoir. It is a gem. But, uh, you know, I, I put in the paddle and from one end to the other, it takes about 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, so it's a wonderful place and it is an important gesture. It's saying exactly what Heidi said, that they're serious and will watch for those next steps because they have a lot of lawns in the state and, and I'm sure that they're thinking about what they're going to do with that. The Great Salt Lake is, uh, it's on globes. I mean, the Great Salt Lake is as an inland sea, and I've had my canoe on the Great Salt Lake, and it is humbling and it's kind of terrifying because you look out and you can't, you, you can't see beyond the horizon, it's all lake. And so, it's, uh, so it is a drop in the bucket, but it's, it's a significant message with a drop in the bucket. Well, now the lake's only about six feet deep all the way across, so yeah, that's probably true. Not, quite yeah. as, not quite as risky. Mm -hmm. I think it's great. I mean, you, have, you need to focus on the big players in this, and the church has uh, as, as much or more water than anybody in the state, mm -hmm. so the fact that they're coming to the table and, and ponying up, I think is fantastic. Uh, and, 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 you st and the legislature in the last session started really looking at agriculture. They're looking at mo metering secondary water, but there's $200 million for agricultural optimization. Agriculture, as we've talked about on this show before, 75% of it uses 75% of the water in the state. So if you're going to get your hands around this, it can't be talking about whether or not we water our lawn or how long mm -hmm. we take showers, that's not going to ch change, the, change the game. It's got to be these big players like the LDS Church, like looking at agriculture. Mm -hmm. uh, this is certainly an issue that we're all watching very closely. It's, everyone's going to have to do their part to address the issues of the Great Salt Lake. Thank you so much for your great comments this evening. Very insightful on some big issues we'll see going forward. Thanks, Jason. Thank you for listening to The Hinkley Report. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help more people find out about it, please rate it and leave us a positive review.